Thanks for joining us for the Fight for Your Marriage podcast with Charlene Steinkamp. This is a place where you can find hope for your marriage through Jesus Christ. My name's Andy Andrews, and I'm sitting here with my wife, Sandra, and we're going to give you a testimony of a restored marriage. And to start that off, I'll speak first, and I'm going to begin by giving you a little bit of background. I became a Christian in 1974, surrendering my life to Christ at Full Gospel Businessmen's Meeting. And just shortly after that, things started to really become many blessings to me and my family. Just for example, in 1977, the Lord created an opportunity for me to return to college and obtain several degrees. We did this back east. We returned home to our home state and my company that had sent me in 1982, and I had a vastly improved career opportunity. This was a great experience for our whole family. In 1988, I got an opportunity to enter executive management in my career field. However, this time I had to leave my family behind and move myself back to the East Coast temporarily. Both my daughters were finishing their last two years of high school. However, at this point I was living alone and traveling a lot and learning to enjoy all the worldly perks of an executive lifestyle, which I pushed to the extreme. All of this I did without the security and covering of a church body and Christian friends, and it was to be a little bit more than two years before my daughters were able to be left alone and on their own so that uh, Sondra could finally rejoin me and we could begin to live again as a husband and wife. We soon discovered that the daily separation for such a period as this and without God's covering had changed both of us, but particularly me in terms of lifestyle and living together expectations. From a worldly perspective, I was at the peak of a very enjoyable professional career, and I liked all of the worldly travel and the conventions and conferences and corporate social interactions that were going on. And I wanted my wife to join right in and get on the same party wagon of flying somewhere to meet me at a romantic rendezvous and we could be together and enjoy this wonderful lifestyle. Instead, we didn't communicate well and we couldn't jointly settle on a church body to belong to and our sex life deteriorated to a very low level. At this point, I became very disenchanted with this whole turn of events and my expectations for my wife went south. At this point, I had a very selfish desire, and I acted out an entitlement perspective that I should and could have a woman in my life who should be my partner who shares my worldly common interests. Late in 1991, I was at a technical convention giving the best research paper and presentation that I'd ever done, and afterwards I celebrated in the evening, and as I was celebrating, I met the woman who fit the precise target of my worldly selfish desires. And shortly after that, I threw Sandra away and began divorce proceedings. Meanwhile, moving in and living with my newfound dream lady. Now, on my family side, my two girls were stunned and shocked at what I'd done, and there was considerable ripple effect through the rest of our family and friends. All very negative toward me, of course. And I expected this, and I tried to ignore their feelings and reactions by burying myself in the emotionally very satisfying life I now enjoyed with my new lady. Understand that I'm now running from God and I'm trying to hide from him and ignore him But one of the first things that happened in this new lifestyle with this new uh, lady Was that my professional credibility and standing took a nosedive I actually shocked and scared my corporate peers because when their spouses found out what I'd done and the circumstances behind my actions It actually had a very negative ripple in their own marriages And as things began to settle out, one could say that I was treated very much at an arm's length and that whatever I had said yesterday for credibility and then said today carried very much less weight. Now, as I reflect, almost everything I tried to do during this time frame ended in failure. It all began with small things but continued to grow into much larger decisions. It was as though God had completely abandoned me And as I was to learn much later, this is exactly what happened, thanks to a special prayer or prayers that were offered up to God on my behalf by Sandra and her pastor. Within a few years, my position of meaningful career responsibility diminished, and it was becoming clear that I really had no more future career prospects with my present employer. But it still came as quite a shock to me when I was finally asked to resign along about March of 95. 
However, I scrambled quickly and was able to get a visiting professor position at my uh, old alma mater. And this didn't hurt me so bad because I rationalized that this wasn't uh, something I hadn't planned anyway. I had ultimately wanted to end my professional working career as a professor. It just happened about 10 years sooner than I expected. I'd always wanted to be a teacher and give back some of my education and experiences to the next generation of scientists. Unfortunately, I now began to harbor bitter feelings and uh, enmity uh, as a consequence of uh, my termination. This was to have some lasting consequences, as I'll discuss later. The move to the university started off very well. However, I did begin to notice that my new wife was not really as happy as I and really missed the old flamboyant lifestyle to which she had grown accustomed. During that first year at the university, I even managed to get uh, two major job interviews with fine companies for really good career track positions. However, the first one turned out to be a very close but a near miss. The second one, uh, I already had the job, but what happened very strangely was that exactly three days prior to the official announcement that I was to start this new position, the entire corporation underwent a major cost-cutting staff reduction and all new positions were canceled. Now, listener, right now I'm citing just these two major examples of disappointment, and I want to reinforce the fact that my behavior has led to God completely removing covering and blessing from me. And as I reflect up until the time I threw Sandra away, just the opposite had happened. I had been the recipient of miraculous favor and blessing. So, during this uh, first year, I began to grow more bitter and sour in disposition, and that was probably reflective in my attitude and behavior for the next four years as things continued to deteriorate. It was by the end of 1999 that my new wife was extremely unhappy and very vocal about her disappointment with me in terms of my ability to get a good job. In fact, things got so bad that I couldn't even raise the support money needed to hold my uh, visiting professor position, and I don't think anyone wanted me around anymore anyway. As this dried up, I tried several other career alternatives. They all failed. At this point, my wife told me that she was done living as we were and that she was moving back to her home state where she could at least be near friends and relatives. And I could come along if I wanted to, but I had to promise to try extra hard at getting another good career position. To get this started, she flew back to her home state, looked around, and ended up buying a house that she liked that I had never seen. We moved there in mid-2000, and now things really went from bad to worse for me. And at first, I tried on my own to secure any kind of a professional position, but uh, I had absolutely no success. I even tried uh, securing lesser positions in industries that weren't related to my career and education and the experiences I'd already had, all without success. By now, I'd been unemployed for about eight months, and this placed me in a position of financial dependency on my uh, wife, and she made me feel very bad, and I felt every painful step. In desperation, at this point, I went to a very pricey executive job placement firm, I spent several weeks in counseling sessions and interview practices. Finally, after literally hundreds of resume mailings, dozens of phone calls, and only a handful of interviews, I reached the point of failure where I gave up. I quit trying. Now, meanwhile, in order to at least earn some pocket money, I was forced to take seasonal jobs, first as a warehouse parts picker during the winter holiday season, and in the summer period I worked at selling ornamental trees in a lawn and garden nursery. Now, both of these jobs were so physically demanding that it was all I could do at this point in my life to suffer through the physical hardship of just getting into shape to keep up uh, with the, these minimum job requirements. For the better part of two years, I tried to continue to send out resumes and look for a professional career position. But as time seemed to go on without any kind of success, I just pretty much dried up, gave up, and quit. As a final mark of failure, one of my wife's friends at the time, he ran a branch office of a mutual fund and insurance uh, sales brokerage house, and he agreed to employ me after I went through the necessary training and licensing requirements. Well, I fulfilled the entry requirements and then spent the next eight months trying to become a salesperson. This was the final, final abject failure. It was at this point in my life 
a remark was made to me that you couldn't sell water to a thirsty rich person. Well, I'm going to close out this portion of my testimony with respect to my job and career downside, and I want to point it out to you, listener, that when you belong to God and you sin, and then you try to run and hide from Him, and He has left you to your own selfish choices, you will go down in flames. I hope you got that flavor from what I've said so far. My career job portion of my life was so secure and unlimited, I thought that nothing bad would ever happen when I started. Let me interject the scriptures and what they say. They say that sin's good for a season, but will surely end in death. And for a man like myself who had enjoyed great success, the winter holiday season of 2002 left me at a point of depression where death was almost welcome. Now, all the while my career was deteriorating and time was passing, Saunders was uh, standing in the wings for a restoration of our marriage. I knew this because both my daughters told me so. And both my girls were now happily married and starting their own families. About two times a year, I would come alone and spend a week or two visiting them and my new grandchildren. From 2000 on, this was my sole delight and the only positive bright thing I had to look forward to. I really missed them and wished I could uh, see them more often. A few months after Andy and I were married, we were sitting and comparing notes, and I shared with him at that time a prayer that I had prayed with my pastor. And he asked me what month and what year that I prayed that prayer, and when I told him, he looked at me and said, Sandra, that's when things started going bad. The things in his life, he told me, that seemed to come easy, success, opportunities, that would come his way, now they would almost be his, but all of a sudden they would just fall in front of his face, on the floor where they did not materialize. I was so awed remembering the prayer my pastor and I prayed, remembering the seriousness of that prayer and the effects that it did have on Andy. I really caution you, you must really hear from the Lord before you pray a prayer like this. You must know that this is God's will. I had been feeling for some times a stirring in my heart to go to my pastor and share what I believe God was speaking to me. I had just come back from the divorce hearing and saw the spiritual condition of my husband and was so concerned. At the end of my conversation with my pastor, I told him that I felt God was wanting me to pray the prayer that Paul prayed over the man who was deep in sin. And my pastor looked at me and he said that he was very concerned with Andy's salvation, which was really the bottom line. That Andy, in spite of knowing what God wanted him to do, it was like he was thumbing his nose at God, saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. That was a very precarious place to be in. And so we agreed that this would be an appropriate prayer to pray over Andy. My pastor said, now this is for the purpose of God bringing Andy back to himself. This is the prayer we prayed. This is the scripture we took it from. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4. And let me read it. There was a man in the Corinthian church who was in deep sexual immorality. And Paul said to the church, In the name of the Lord Jesus, you are to call a meeting of the church, and I will be there in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus will be with you as you meet. Then you must cast this man out of the church and into Satan's hands so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved when the Lord returns. And this was the reason for the prayer. Because Andy's life, the way he was going on with his life, in full disobedience to the Lord, knowing what he was doing and yet turning his face and walking away from God, that this prayer we prayed was for the sole purpose of having him hit the wall and having him experience the consequence of sin. Not that the Lord would be forsaking him, but that the Lord would allow him to feel the sting of his sin for the purpose of restoring Andy back to himself and to his family. It was out of love in my heart and in my pastor's heart for my husband to pray this prayer to snatch him out of the power of Satan and bring him into a right standing with his God and into the kingdom of the Lord. Jude 23 says, Rescue others by snatching them from the flame of judgment. That was my heart, 
and that's exactly what happened. Like I said before, you must really seek the Lord. You must hear from Him before you pray a prayer like this. During the course of this 10-year time frame, both of my daughters still loved and supported me, and each with their own unique personalities. When I'd come back for a visit, it was our custom to go out together, dad and daughter, alone together, to dinner somewhere and just have father-daughter chats. And it was in 2002 when I was out with my oldest daughter that reality and perspective really got me to thinking about where my life was headed. She summarized her observations of me, my lifestyle, and my growing depression with a tearful confession, something she didn't often do, that she felt that I was needing to get out of the marriage I was now in and come back home to them. Well, at this point, I knew she was right, but I didn't know then what or how to do this. Now, something else happened, and this is where God becomes uh, miraculous. During this exact same time frame of this visit, God was to work out a new miracle in my life. Now, one of the evenings I was uh, with one of my daughters, Sandra invited me over to where she was living at the time and told me that the reason for this visit was of some very special importance. Well, I simply thought it might be a chance for me to get some sort of reconciliation going, because at this point in my life, I was beginning to look for any spark of life and hope. Instead, she surprised me with the story of uh, meeting my son, Thad. Let me uh, back up. Before I met Sandra and married her in 1968, I had been involved with a young woman and had fathered a son with her in 1967. We had parted company and I had more or less essentially not thought about my son Thad for 35 plus years. Now Sandra had met him and he in turn was eager to meet his biological dad. Well, when she revealed this to me, I was absolutely stunned. Finally, after thinking about this uh, turn of events for a few minutes, I had to tell Sandra that I just couldn't meet him in the condition I was presently in at this particular point in time in 2002. It was going to be another year before I worked up the courage to do this. Meanwhile, I'll let Sandra tell you the story of how this all came to pass. And like Paul Harvey says, and now for the rest of the story, God did a, just an extra miracle for us and our family. I oversee our food pantry at church. One day, a couple came in to volunteer their time and wanted to work at the food pantry. We got to know one another and just really came to care for one another. And about a month and a half went by, and one Wednesday after the food pantry was over, they came to me and they started asking me questions. Was I married? What was my maiden name? What was my married name? I wondered why were they asking me all these questions. Thad asked me, he said, is Andy saved? And I said, how do you know my husband's name? And even though we had been divorced, Andy was always my husband in my heart. I never spoke of him as my ex-husband. And he said, is he saved? Yes. How do you know him? And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, I'm his son. That was the most awesome day. Andy had told me that he had fathered a son years ago, and that was the mercy of God that this did not hit me blindsided. How this came about was the lady that Andy had been engaged to all those years ago was going to my church, and she happened to see my picture on the staff board. She noticed my name, and she had remembered the name of the girl that Andy had married, and she wondered if I was the same one and so she went to her son and said, I wonder if you are volunteering for your father's wife. And so they came and asked me that next week. And that began a process of introducing Andy to his new son, Thad. That was such a privilege for God to use me to be the conduit to bring Andy and his son back together. Well, it's now January of 2003, and I have just come out for a visit with my two daughters again. And this time, uh, I called Sandra, and I let her know that I was willing to meet my son. This meeting or reunion with my son, Thad, uh, stirred emotions in me that I uh, had thought been dead for a long time. 
The warmth and love of family left me feeling a strong sense of motivation to get out of my current marriage, return home, and finally get right again with God. And when my two daughters met their new brother, unmet before that, they, they just didn't know he existed, there was an immediate sense of bonding and acceptance. And suddenly I was in the midst of children and grandchildren and together with Sandra, and for a moment, that moment, everything seemed right with the world for the first time in years. I ran the gamut of emotions, and I really didn't want this to end. It was with quite a bit of resolve and determination and especially family prayers, I left them and returned uh, back to where I was living with my wife at the time. The very evening I got back on off my flight, we agreed to divorce. She would get everything there, and it was done almost without enmity or any kind of tears. We simply filled out the divorce papers the next day in mid-January of 2003, and that proceeding became final in mid-March of 2003. I then left with my modest things loaded in a small trailer and drove to uh, where my brother lived and uh, where I was to spend the next six months living with him, and this began my road home. During that time frame, I spent those six months in uh, reflection and repentance. It was in July 2003 that my brother and I drove uh, back out to where my daughters and Sandra lived, and uh, he was coming out to see his son and daughter, and, and I to once again visit my family, and uh, this time the most important thing was to confess my sin to Sandra. I had been going to ask her forgiveness, and I was going to see if there was any chance of getting back together again. Well, it was a pleasant and warm late summer afternoon at uh, my oldest daughter's home when Sandra and I sat down to have this talk. She accepted all I had to say and was like-minded in seeking to restore our relationship. She was surprisingly apologetic also and showed no vindictiveness or any other negative feeling toward me. She had stood this whole time with incredible class. Now, there's a very important other thing that I had to do as Sandra and I were starting to walk down this road of uh, our new relationship and get together again. I made a decision before God that I would march down to the front of the church. I would confess my sins on my knees before God, and I would have the pastor, the one that had stood with Sandra, uh, all this time as her cover, he would hear my prayer and would uh, pray with me. All of this came to pass. I spent many months in counseling with a very good pastor friend. Sandra and I are now in our third year of remarriage, and it's a brand new relationship, completely founded on like-minded faith in Jesus Christ. I continue to meet regularly with a pastor friend whom I've known for over 30 years on a weekly basis. This started out as an intense spiritual counseling uh, meetings are now uh, friendship-based sharing. All of those wonderful family relationships that I had missed are now in place and growing. I get to see my children and my grandchildren regularly. I'm especially pleased to also be in the process of growing a new business and partnership with my new son Thad. I'll close by saying I thank God for all of his precious grace poured out on me and for the profound company and life partnership with my wife, Sandra. We pray daily to walk together hand in hand with each other and in hand with Jesus, our Lord, to lead us one step at a time, one day at a time. God bless you all. David says in Psalm 66, 16 through 20, Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, my Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God, who did not ignore my prayer and did not withdraw his unfailing love from me. This is Andy's in my heart to tell you what God did for us and for him to receive all the glory and also for the purpose to share God's heart and how he values and takes so very serious marriages. Fourteen years ago, our marriage of 22 years broke into pieces. Like a fast-moving freight train, divorce shattered our family, leaving behind a trail of devastation. 
all looked hopeless and irreparable to the natural eye, but not to God's. And this began a journey with God in the restoration of our marriage. I would like to share with you my walk with the Lord in the past ten years of standing with Him for our marriage. I will never forget the day Andy told me that he did not love me anymore, that his love had died, in fact, that he didn't think he ever did love me, that he thought we were in lust when we got married, and that he had now found his true love in another woman, that she had made him feel like he had never felt before. He went on to say that he wanted a divorce and he wanted to find true happiness before he died. I remember begging him, begging him to give us a second chance and crying out to God to give us a second chance. But Andy's mind was made up. He reminded me of a freight train speeding down the tracks with no brakes. Nothing was going to stop him. He told me, Sandra, I have to walk down this road and I know that God will be with me. And I told him that when he got to the end of the road that I would be there. And looking back now, I believe that that was prophetic. Andy told our two girls, 18 and 19 at the time, thinking that they would be fine since they were older and now out on their own. But oh, how far that was from the truth. They were devastated. Divorce is not just between two people. I heard someone say divorce affects 250 people. The children never get over it, no matter how old they are. But we were a Christian family, and so our girls knew the one to go to for help, our God. They joined me in praying for their dad through the years, and we became so much closer as mother and daughters. And together, along with their husbands, we fought the good fight of faith for Andy. So many friends and family stood with us and believed for a miracle. And my pastor and his wife from the very beginning took me under their wings and loved me and cared for me and prayed for me. I was so broken, I didn't think a heart could hurt so much and still live. I didn't know how a body could produce so many tears. Every church service, I was there, listening to the word being preached and losing myself in worship. I know the Holy Spirit was drawing me closer to Jesus, and I needed him so bad. I could have found my comfort in drugs or alcohol or other men to ease the pain, but I was drawn to hold fast to Jesus and walk cold turkey with him. And I'm so glad I did because today I have a testimony that Jesus is enough. His grace is sufficient. He alone is able to take us through the valley and bring us out to the other side. I buried myself in the Word of God. The Psalms were my oasis. I listened to the Psalms on tape as I would get out and walk about seven miles most days. It was more than just for exercise, but for time to be alone with the Lord. Some days the pain was bigger than God, and I had to break through that pain by hearing the Word and being constantly reminded of just who God was. I remember that there were days where I could hardly get out of bed because of the oppression and depression. I decided to write my favorite scriptures on adding machine tape. So I had nine-foot-long strips of tape thumbtacked to my bedroom walls and ceiling. So when I opened up my eyes in the morning, I could read God's Word, His encouragements, and then the depression would just evaporate and fresh faith and living hope would flood my heart. There is nothing like the Word of God. It is alive. It's like a lung living and breathing. The Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. This is so true. Looking back, I believe God planted faith in my heart to stand for my marriage. A couple of days after Andy told me he wanted a divorce, I opened up my Bible and read Psalm 29. In that psalm, it talks about all the things that just the voice of the Lord can do. It's amazing. It says, The voice of the Lord thunders over the mighty sea, that it's powerful, full of majesty, that it splits the mighty cedars, shatters the cedars of Lebanon, makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf, makes the deserts shake, twists mighty oaks, and strips the forest bare. And I thought to myself, God, if you can do all that with just your voice, then surely you can heal our marriage. 
over and over again through those long years, God spoke to me in so many ways. Through his word, which was the most precious of all, through license plates, through dreams, through my pastor's messages, and he even gave me a vision of our family restored, standing side by side. I remembered my eyes were closed in prayer, and yet I was seeing this picture of our family standing together. It was the hardest of times, and yet the sweetest of times with my Lord. I saw myself like a little girl who had thrown a ball through the neighbor's window. She didn't have enough money to buy a new window, and she didn't even know how to put the new window in. She didn't know how to fix it, but she knew who she could go to, her father. Her father, she knew, had the money and and the know-how on how to fix the broken window. So like that little girl, I went to my Heavenly Father, and I just told him how I felt like I had broken my marriage in pieces. I told him that I didn't know how to fix it, but I knew that he could. So I took the broken pieces of our marriage in my cupped hands and lifted them up to him. And I asked my Heavenly Father to put the pieces back together. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman tears her house down with her own hands. In my Bible, beside this scripture, I have written, I tore my house down with my own hands, but God is building it back up on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. I believe I tore my house and my marriage down by neglect. I neglected my husband Andy by not loving him with a full heart. And one day, another woman came into his life who told him what he so desperately needed to hear from me. She treated him and loved him the way he so desperately needed me to treat and love him. A few years ago, God gave me the opportunity to apologize to Andy. I first went to God and asked him to forgive me for not cherishing Andy, the husband, the gift he had given me. And then I went to Andy saying the same thing. I told him that I felt like I had given him away, like I had handed him over on a silver platter to a woman who who would give to him like he wanted me to give to him. He also apologized to me. It was such a sweet time, and I will never forget what he told me. He said, Sandra, I traded gold for sawdust. In the early years of standing, I had gone to my pastor, and he advised me in this time of waiting not to pine my life away. I think he gave me the best advice that anybody could give. He said, but instead to open up my life to God, to be willing to be a coin in God's pocket, to spend however God chooses. He told me to keep my heart for my husband, to not to go out with other men, but to consider myself a widow in the Lord. So I prayed that day with my pastor, and I opened up my heart and my life to God. And little did I know what God could do with such a broken life. I've been able to go on four overseas mission trips over the years and have become active in ministries at our church. God was truly my husband. When Andy and I first separated and divorced, people would tell me that God would be my husband, and I just wanted to scream back, I don't want God to be my husband. I want God to be my God, but I want my flesh and blood husband to be my husband. But in spite of my heart attitude, God took me and was the most wonderful husband to me. I surrendered my husband to the Lord, and it was not an easy thing to do. I think it took me about three or four years to do. I was so afraid that if I gave Andy to God that he would not give him back to me. A lady had prayed with me to surrender Andy to the Lord, and and it was so hard for me I could not even get the words out of my mouth, and I started to hyperventilate. But she was so wise in what she told me. She said that it was okay, and she said, let's just pray that the Holy Spirit would help me one day to pray that prayer of surrender. And as I was in the Word, and as the years went by, and I came to know God's character for me, and His love, and His heart towards me. And I was able to trust Him with my life and my future. I remember the day I totally surrendered Andy. I was walking. I had heard that if you pray and pray and pray, that 
God will just give in and give you his permissive will. Well, I had come to know God in such a way where I could trust his will for me. And I said, God, if Andy's not your perfect will for me, because I want your perfect will, not your permissive will. So if Andy's not your perfect will for me, then just show me and I will trust you and I will be okay because I trust your heart for me. And so after praying that prayer, I know that was a complete surrender. God continued to encourage me to stand for my marriage in so many ways. As the years went by, I guess my greatest fear was that someday Andy would remarry. And I remember the day that I felt so hurt and so full of pain. I told the Lord that I just wish Andy would remarry so I could get on with my life and out of the pain. And I told God that if Andy did remarry, that I was I was through. I was out of here. I was not going to stand or pray for him to come back, that he was God's business. God could have him. But I'm glad I had that conversation with God because in the year to come, Andy would remarry. And in spite of the remarriage, I continued to stand because God spoke to me, not because I was some desperate woman hanging on, but because I had prayed and found that God had wanted me to continue on standing. Before I knew Andy had remarried that weekend, God spoke to me in three different ways. He spoke encouragement to me that was so strong. It was almost like he was coming and putting an exclamation point on what he'd already spoken to me. I was reading Psalm 37, 34. I was reading one year through the Bible. I wasn't reading for any comprehension. I was just behind and I wanted to get from point A to point B. And I was just trying to read through it fast. But I came upon Psalm 37, 34, and it said, Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to possess the land. When God spoke of the land and the word, it was always my marriage. It was like a branding iron going into my heart. I just stopped, and I knew that I knew that God was speaking to me. I felt like if I looked around the room that I would see him there. The second way God spoke to me was my sister the next night had a dream and she dreamt that she saw Andy standing up with another woman getting married and then she saw Andy going through what seemed to be a long dark tunnel with demonic hands coming out at him. She perceived this that Andy would be going through a real hard time but at the end of the dream she saw us together crying tears of repentance. The third way God spoke to me that weekend was I went to hear an evangelist speak, and he came up to me and he said, Sister, God wants you to know it is not over. And I knew that God had spoken to me. I didn't know what was down the road, and I said, God, you never do something for no reason. What is down the road that I will need such a firm foundation to stand on? And I would later find out that Andy had remarried. He remarried on a Friday night. And on that Saturday and Sunday is when God spoke to me. When my daughter came to tell me that her dad had remarried, I knew God had spoken to my heart to continue to stand. I knew that in God's eyes that our divorce papers were just that, a piece of paper to God. That he looked at our wedding certificate. He looked at our covenant vows that we spoke before him. People say it takes two. Yes, it does take two. It takes God and one mate who will stand in the gap for the marriage, for the family. I began to view Andy's marriage as a legalized adultery because I felt like God, since he had told me to stand, held our covenant in his hands and that the second marriage that Andy was in was not a marriage in God's eyes, but it was legalized adultery. It was based on sinking sand. It was based on sin. It was based on lust, on the wrong choice of a man disobedient to the word of God. He also spoke to me about free will. Yes, we do have a free will, but our will is not free as long as we are in deception. We cannot use this as a cause to or an excuse to give up and walk away. It is only when we commit to pray, to persevere in prayer, for God to take the blinders off of that person and let that person see truth. Then that man or woman is able to make a free choice. We pray for the same way for a non-believer, 
not giving up until the deception is gone. They will then ask Jesus into their hearts and lives. Should we do anything less for our families? When we release a covenant partner and write it off as that person having a free will, and there's nothing we can do about it, we are surrendering to the enemy's will. He is the one who comes to steal and destroy and to kill. We must ask, what is God's will? Knowing, trusting, and acting on that will, we have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead working for us. As I continued to stand and believe what I felt God was speaking to me, I not only prayed for Andy, but I prayed for the woman he was with. I asked God to give the enemy two black eyes. I told him I didn't just want him to do a miracle for our family, but also for her and her family. It wasn't always easy to pray and forgive, and in those times I only had to realize that Jesus had forgiven me, and that would soften my heart once again. I remember one day being on my knees and and just feeling like I needed to forgive her again, and it was so hard to get the words out. And I looked up on my wall in my bedroom, and there was a picture of Jesus that I had where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before he was crucified. And just seeing that picture softened my heart, and I said, how could I ever not forgive her, Jesus, for what you have done for me? As the years went on, I would wonder what God was doing in Andy's life. From all outward appearances, it looked like nothing was going on. But now looking back and hearing Andy talk of how God was speaking to him in his circumstances, I could see God at work. But at the time, all I saw was this huge mountain that wasn't budging. But God was chiseling away from the foundation where one day, suddenly, it would break apart and fall. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit will reap eternal life. And Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There was a way that seemed right to me all those years that we were married, but it was not God's way, it was my way, and it ended in the death of our marriage. And also for Andy and his new relationship, it seemed so right to him, but it ended in death. Satan will come up with a package wrapped so bright and beautifully and say, here, take it, but inside is death waiting to destroy us. One day in the tenth year of standing for our marriage, one of our daughters called me to say that her dad had called her and said he was getting a divorce. She was just shouting over the phone with joy. She said that her dad and the woman that he was married to agreed. They both wanted it. And I remember thinking, God, what is that going to look like? I know the promise you have given me, but God, that means that this relationship is going to break up. And I just had to leave it in God's hands. And he worked it all out. They were both in agreement. When Cheryl was speaking, she was just, like I said, she was just shouting for joy. And I remembered the psalm, Psalm 20, the scripture God had given me so many years ago, where it said, May God answer all your prayers. May there be shouts of joy. Even though this is what I had been waiting to hear for so many years, I had to know that this was God's timetable. And so I got on my knees and I asked God to confirm to me that this was his timing. In the next 10 hours, he confirmed to me in six different ways that this was him. It was so important for me to know that. Six months went by without hearing a word from Andy. 
and then he made a trip out to see me, and we had a heartfelt time of sharing. We both apologized to each other, and Andy asked me to forgive him for what he did to me and all the hurt he had caused. He shared with me how he felt like a shell of a man and how his heart had turned cold to God. He asked me, he said, would there be someone in my church if he walked down to the front, to the altar, and knelt down, would there be someone who would lay hands on him and pray for God to ignite the fire back in his heart? And I knew who that person was, my pastor, who had stood with me and prayed for me all those years. And so I called him up, and I explained the situation. So he said, of course, that he would pray for Andy. And so that Sunday, we went to church, and we both walked down the aisle together. Andy and I got on our knees, and our pastor prayed for Andy and served us both communion. What an awesome, wonderful Sunday that was. After months of counseling and prayer by our two pastors, Andy and I were remarried on April 16, 2004. There were two dear friends that were pastors who cared for me in the state um, that Andy and I had lived in before we had gotten a divorce. They made a 3,000-mile trip just to attend our wedding. The pastors who had cared for me all those years were the ones who married us, and our two girls and our new son Thad and his wife stood with Andy and I as we got married. Charlene called me on our wedding day to pray for me and us. What a gift since my mom had gone to be with Jesus 24 years ago. I always felt like Charlene was my spiritual mom, and, and I could never give enough of Bob's writings. To hear from his side was such an encouragement, being the one who left his wife and was brought back by the power of God. I remember the book he wrote, Prodigals Do Come Home. What an awesome book for a stander to read. God gave Andy and I a second chance, a brand new love for one another. We are not the same two people. As before, we had the Lord in our lives, but we each had our own walk with Him. Now we have the Lord with us together in our marriage. We are intimate with God together and with one another as a result of that. We are certainly a work in process. Before I end, there there's just a few things that I would like to share with you that I've learned through the years. One is not to be proud and judgmental, that God is the one who puts the idea into your heart to stand for your marriage. He's the one who gives you the strength. Pray for the other person. Keep a soft, forgiving heart. Do not uncover your husband and ask God to give you the heart of the father like in the prodigal story. Be willing for God to change you. Leave your husband with him. Your husband is God's responsibility. Don't be the Holy Spirit. Stay close to God and listen to his voice. Ask him to make you the wife or husband that your mate would be blessed with. Ask God to give you a scripture, a vision of how he sees your husband. God gave me Hosea 14.4. My pastor has pressed me and our church body to walk in faith and know God personally. Be in the Word and live in the Word. Hold fast to God. Worship Him. It has been a privilege to share with you. Now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. Never forget that God can change a heart. Nothing is impossible with him. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Sandra, for sharing from your hearts. We love you. Lord, we just praise you for what you have accomplished in Andy and Sandra's lives and their marriage. What a miracle of restoration, of putting all the pieces of the puzzle of their lives back together again, making such a beautiful tapestry that is still not yet completed. Lord, thank you. Thank you for confirming through Andy that you will leave the 99 and will go after your lost sheep, bringing them back home to you. Thank you, Father, that we each can crucify our sinful nature and can live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the institution and sanctity of our marriages. Lord, may this testimony Give this stander who is listening hope from on high that they will never 
have to give up on their spouse who is running from God at this very moment. May we never forget that our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for all sinners, including their spouse. Lord, we thank you that you are very patient and loving, and your love is overflowing with mercy and grace for all sinners. Lord, I pray that you have opened the standards' eyes and ears and their mind to receive this message, to know that they know that they know that regardless of their circumstances, oh, Heavenly Father, that they will need to seek your face for their own personal relationship with you, listening to your voice, Father, and your directions, standing on the promises of your word. May you touch the standard spouse's heart today and bring them home to you and bring them to their marriage. Lord, bless Sandra and Andy's marriage, and may they be a witness to thousands and thousands of hurting couples. We pray this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, be sure to subscribe so that you're notified when a new episode is released. And if you enjoyed this podcast and you found it beneficial, will you submit a review so it will help our rankings and other people will be able to find it? If you want to reach out to us, you can do so from our website. Again, www.rejoiceministries.org. Write us and tell us how you enjoyed this podcast. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages. Divorce strikes families around the world, often with little notice. You can help us minister to these families with your financial gift. Visit rejoiceministries.org and help us teach men and women what Jesus can do for their hurting family.